The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences. Financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Well, good morning. Welcome, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Network. We've got another terrific show for you today with my special guest, Bart Schwartz, who is an attorney by training and a former AUSA under Rudy Giuliani. And, of course, he's a fraud expert and an entrepreneur extraordinaire. We'll, uh, he'll be joining us shortly, and um, we'll be talking about uh, what he's been up to and how his organization uh, combats fraud and uh, but before we get to Bart, I, I don't want everybody to forget our mantra, and that is that at any time in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And we know that fraud is everywhere, and it's sapping the lifeblood out of organizations uh, like a leech. And so we're here uh, to hopefully tamp it down, minimize it, squelch it, educate folks, and uh, hopefully try to prevent uh, this sort of thing from, uh, from happening. And when it does, be able to respond. Uh, quickly and efficiently in order to protect your organization and your stakeholders, uh, <clears throat> their reputation, your finances, etc. There's a million th- million downfalls uh, when, when, you're, uh, when you're a victim. So I'm always continually amazed at how rampant uh, fraud is in today's business world uh, here in the United States, and that's, uh, that's what you can read about quite a bit. What you don't necessarily read about and, and hear about is the fraud that goes on overseas and and that is, uh, you know, if we think it's bad here, it's particularly bad uh, in other countries, particularly in the developing uh, nations of the world. And I know Bart will have some something to say about that. I'm sure we can talk a bit about that. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, Bart, his organization is one of those companies that are at the vanguard of preventing and responding to various types of white collar fraud in in some unique ways. And we'll we'll be getting into that. But before we do. I want to uh, <clears throat> talk about this past week, and we, we always go over um, major embezzlement cases, and one of the things that, uh, that I do is, uh, is gather the statistics for major embezzlement cases, those cases over 100 grand, and I use that data in our annual Marquet Report on Embezzlement, which is uh, some unique research that we put out as a white paper uh, available to everybody, and uh, what it does is... Uh, analyzes you know the who the victims are 
who the perpetrators are, how they conduct their schemes, uh, and how one might prevent it uh, from occurring. So it's really uh, it's really an ongoing uh, labor of love. Um, but this week we had uh, some 19 cases that we catalog, over 100 grand in losses in each, with nearly 13 million total in losses to those various organizations. Uh, once again. I believe this is just really the tip of the iceberg, people, uh, because many, many fraud cases simply don't get reported or they don't get prosecuted. Uh, they get swept under the rug. They get quietly put away or they don't even get discovered. So this is something that's uh, that's problematic. Um, <clears throat> Today, let's not forget, if you're interested in joining our discussion today, it's uh, the number to call into is 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790 if you'd like to just join the discussion. And you can also find us on all the major social media, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. We're at Fraud Talk, and hashtag Fraud Talk is what we use. You can also see us on our blog, which is Fraud Talk on Blogspot, and of course on our Voice America host homepage. You can also contact me directly at Chris at MarqueInternational.com, M A R Q U E T, International, all one word, if you have a question, comment, or suggested fraud of the week. Uh, this week's fraud of the week comes to us from Steve out in California, and it involves a former firefighters union official who embezzled $112,000 over a seven-year period, basically in order to enhance his lifestyle. Uh, now, I realize that's not a huge sum of money, but I, I picked this one because I wanted to highlight that <clears throat> the fact that we see this common phenomenon occurring at unions where they are frequently victims of fraud uh, by you know, by their own hand, you know, people within the organization. And uh, just reading from the Santa Barbara Independent uh, this past week, um, <clears throat> retired firefighter Robert Perez will repay the Santa Barbara County Firefighters Union approximately $112,000 that he siphoned from the insurance account during his tenure as the account manager uh, ruled Judge Gene Danadonna uh, this past week. Uh, and he's been ser uh, sentenced now to three years in state prison for felony uh, grand theft and tax evasion charges. Perez had been with the county fire department for 20 years, and in 2001, he was chosen to run the $1 million a year insurance account, monitoring and paying the premiums for 250 active and retired firefighters. In addition to his regular salary, which earned him about $400 a month, he also was paid uh, to uh, in that particular position. Uh, but between 2006 and 2013, that's over a seven-year period, he basically siphoned money from that account rather than making the reimbursements as he'd been doing in the past. And basically with what he did with the money, he, you know, you know, enhanced his lifestyle, buying jewelry, iPads, you know, a new home, laptop, uh, mobile home, all kinds of things, uh, even making charitable donations to enhance his position in the community. And this, again, uh, folks, is not at all uncommon, but what I see is... Uh, this is a, a regular thing that uh, that uh, unions are are victims, and, and and primarily, I believe. 
because there is a lack of oversight, a lack of financial controls, and a trust factor that goes into into that when you're talking about one of your own that you've appointed as a, as a bookkeeper or managing a particular segment uh, of the of the organization. So, I just wanted to highlight that case uh, for you all and uh, remind you that uh, no organization is immune. Large, small, uh, doesn't matter the geography or or the, or the industry. But what I found is uh, unions always at the top, you know, in the top twelve or so industry segments, uh, most victims of fraud, according to our Marquet report on embezzlement. So, in any event, I would like to bring in our guest Bart Schwartz, uh, who may also have something, one or two things to say about fraud involving unions. Bart, welcome. Thank you, uh, Chris. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. Yeah, well, Bart, uh, just uh, uh, um, Bart, uh, Bart and I just some uh, disclosure. Bart and I go way back to what, nineteen eighty-five or six? Bart, eighty-five, I think it was. Eighty-five, yeah, yeah, it's way back when. <laughs> almost, it's that's almost uh, thirty years. That's hard to believe. Um, <clears throat> Bart, uh, I'd, I'd like to tell our guests a little bit about your background. Um, Bart is described by the New York Times as the person, quote, often sought off, sought in, in thorny situations by corporations. Uh, he has got wide experience providing advice and support to corporations, governments, and individuals. Bart has served as a trial lawyer, a corporate advisor, and CEO of a private company and a unit of the public company. And for more than 30 years, he has managed complex investigations, prosecutions, and security assessments, and provided sophisticated investigative service to a wide array of clients. He's currently the chairman and CEO of Solution Point International, which owns Guidepost Solutions, Bodhi Technology, and NSM Surveillance. Bart also serves on the board of HMS Holdings, which is a NASDAQ publicly traded entity, and he serves as the chairperson of that that, uh, company's compliance committee. Earlier in his year, and this might interest some of our our, uh, listeners, Bart served under the U.S. Attorney Rudy Giuliani as the chief of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York. And in that post, he had direct responsibility for overseeing prosecutions related to financial and business fraud, organized crime, and other types of white-collar crime. He has had just a myriad of different kinds of um, uh, very fascinating assignments over the years, including monitorships and, and compliance cases, uh, overseeing companies and organizations, a number of which we're going to get into uh, as we speak to BART, uh, for, uh, as a result of either um, a court-ordered uh, uh, review uh, or monitorship or a voluntary situation uh, in advance of or after a situation has occurred. And um, he's also been assigned from, uh, you know, the SEC, the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney's Office in a number of different uh, jurisdictions, the Manhattan Manhattan DA's Office, and the New York Organized Crime Task Force. Bart uh, Bart's also been a a partner at a New York law firm that specialized in federal white-collar crime. litigation and has served as a deputy special prosecutor in the investigation of presidential cabinet officer. Uh, In 1991, he formed uh, and was CEO of Decision Strategies, uh, which was an internationally recognized investigative and security firm, and ran that uh, shop for about 12 years before he sold it, but continued on uh, until 2003. And then he resigned to start his new venture, uh, which is now Guidepost. 
Uh, Bart is a 1971 graduate of NYU Law School and a 1968 graduate of the University of Pittsburgh, and he's co-authored a number of, of investigative uh, chapters for various treaties for the courts. So, Bart, uh, just well, it's a I don't, long, any, I don't, don't know about anybody else, but you've just made my mother very happy. <laughs> that is there. There's so much here, and uh, like I said, uh, we, you and I go back a long time, and you served as a mentor uh, to me for a period of time at uh, at an old company that we will remain nameless uh, because we want. I want to talk about Solution Point International, which is the holding company for the three main uh, operating entities that uh, you have: uh, uh, Guidepost International, uh, for example. Tell us a bit about. Tell us about the organization, if you will. Sure, th- thank you. Um, actually, the, I think the company that would be of most interest to your listeners is Guidepost Solutions, which is the investigative uh, company. Um, it's not uh, the typical investigative company because we do work that others don't. We do what you'd expect, which is um, uh, day-to-day investigations, uh, uh, whatever that may be. It includes forensics, cyber forensics, accounting forensics. Um, surveillance, whatever needs to be done, due diligence, litigation support, not in, um, in, in col- collecting, uh, data and managing, uh, emails, not that kind of litigation support, but going out and conducting factual investigations to either help, uh, cross-examine witnesses, uh, uh, prove line, lines of proof and, uh, for the lawyers and, uh, and so forth. Uh, but in addition to that, we have uh, a couple of things that distinguish us. Uh, one is a practice which I lead, which is the monitoring and compliance practice, where, as you mentioned, we're brought into companies which have had a problem. Usually it's a problem that, that brings us in. And uh, they've agreed with the government, to, either through a deferred prosecution agreement or some other consent decree, that they will make changes and improvements, and I help oversee that those changes really uh, do get made and that they are uh, institutionalized and sustainable so that uh, my assignment has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and when I leave, the compliance programs are best practices and they don't need me to do that uh, and to continue that. And then the other big area that we have is our um, security uh, Group, which is very much a technology group in addition to traditional uh, security. So we do uh, we we design security plans for major construction, for example, like Yankee Stadium in New York. Uh, we did a number uh, hospitals, schools, and we design the systems. We do the blueprints. The people in that group are engineers and architects, and we oversee the construction. We're uh, agnostic as to equipment. We don't have anything that we label as our own, so we only look for what's best for the uh, client um, and uh, help ensure that it's installed properly and it's working properly. Okay, uh, so, so uh, yep. we're going to we're going to have to take a break, um, but uh, okay. that's. Uh, the, uh, we'll we'll continue discussing uh, what the company does. We're going to come back in two minutes. Thank you, everybody. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Uh, My guest today is Bart Schwartz. He is the chairman of Solution Point International. And uh, we've been talking a bit about what this company does. And I think one of the critical areas that uh, Bart uh, gets involved with, uh, probably more often than than any other organization, is the monitoring and compliance programs that he personally oversees that division and uh, and manages. how are you doing, Bart? Welcome back. Good. Thank you. Uh, I, I understand. I mean, you, you're the monitor in the SAC Capital Advisors, now now known as uh, Point Seventy Two Asset Management, uh, the old uh, Stephen Cohen uh, hedge fund that uh, blew up uh, uh, not too long ago, and you became, I think, in April of 2014, the uh, compliance uh, consulting uh, working to try to get that 
organization back in order. Um, and there are a whole slew of other cases that uh, that you've gone that you've that you've personally overseen. Can you tell us a bit about uh, again a little bit more about uh, the the program? Uh, the, you know what you're typically brought in to do, and maybe uh, a recent uh, project or two that that might that might be interesting. Sure. Uh, I can't really talk about SAC in particular or Point Seventy Two, but I would point out, Chris, I don't think they really blew up because they're still uh, managing, and this is public record, about eight billion dollars in assets. Sure. Sure. There's a lot. There's a lot going on there um, uh, as we speak. Uh, but what what often happens, uh, Chris, is when a um, uh, the government negotiates with a company over a resolution of criminal or civil uh, uh, charges. Um, the government is looking for a way to ensure that changes take place, but the government is not really organized to oversee those kinds of changes. It doesn't have the resources, and frankly, it doesn't have the interest. They want to move on to the next next case. So right. The idea so, of a mo- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to say. So, for example, in a case where a company and a large organization's been accused of violating the uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, for example, on one side of the coin to another, where you might have uh, a major fraud internally, um, of you know, cooking the books uh, or what have you. That that that's where the government says, okay, uh, you organization did bad things. Uh, we're going to make you pay all these various fines. But at, in addition to that. We're going to hire uh, Bart Schwartz Solution Point, or a guidepost, I should say, in this case, um, to be the the monitor. You're going to have to hire them. You're going to have to pay them. And for the for the next five years, they are going to be with you, <laughs> embedded with you, to help uh, to put in place policies and procedures, to monitor those policies and procedures, and to make sure that you're in compliance with this consent decree or whatever the the uh, judicial uh, action was, correct? That's, that's right. And one of the real challenges for me is to make sure that I don't become the de facto compliance department because I'm going to be leaving. And when I yes. leave, I want them to be able to do it on their own. Uh, so, so you help them build. That's exactly right. I help them build it. I can I can be an advisor. Um, I have to be vigilant to make sure there's no other misconduct going on. And the agreement that they signed with the government usually dictates whether I have to report that uh, that information immediately to the government if there's a problem, or I can investigate it to some extent to see whether the company is ha- how the company is handling. Uh, the issue that might arise. I mean, a, a, a good example of this, some of your listeners may remember the pretexting scandal at Hewlett-Packard. Sure, where, absolutely. Where, yeah, and that resulted in congressional hearings and, and other things. Well, Hewlett-Packard, before they were required to bring in a monitor, Hewlett-Packard brought me in to review, rewrite, and work on all of their security and investigative-related protocols and guidelines. And so while for- I was, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to remind our, our listeners, the Hewlett-Packard case, which I think goes back to 2006, I believe, or, or eight or so, a few, so, several years ago, uh, involved a leak on the board of directors. And what happened was uh, the company rightfully understood that it needed to investigate that leak and try to determine where that leak was on the board of directors and, and to st- put a stop to it uh, to protect the shareholders and the confidentiality agreements that everybody signed. 
behind. And unfortunately, what they did was uh, they turned to some uh, an investigative uh, uh, protocol that uh, really uh, was uh, broke the law and essentially was an identity theft situation. Even though they, they, from what I understand, identified the actual leak, the way they went about doing it was totally inappropriate, illegal, and they got their... Um, uh, they got their got in hot water, both on the California state level as well as on a federal level. Is that that's correct, right. uh, Bart? T- t- tell us a bit more right. about that. Uh, that's right, and uh, maybe to oversimplify it a little bit, but uh, to help understand it, essentially what happened is that somebody working for HP, not directly but through contract, uh, pretended to be um, the relative of a Wall Street Journal reporter and asked um, a cell phone carrier to send uh, the bills to a new address in addition to the old address so that that investigator could get the bills of the reporter. So in in sense, we're we're talking about identity theft at at a minimum. Yes, well, that's right. In fact, uh, I think that's a very good point, Chris. Everybody referred to it as pretexting, and that was an element of it. But what I think what got everybody even angrier was that it was it was uh, identity theft, something that all of us uh, worry about. And there they were, this major company, uh, having somebody on their behalf, uh, admittedly not ordered from the top, but still being done on their behalf. And so of they, course, what they did is they they brought me in. And I started working with their various uh, groups, uh, the ethics group, the privacy uh, chief privacy officer, the chief ethics officer, chief compliance officer, uh, reported to the board of directors, and spent time changing the way they contracted for work, uh, changing the way they trained people, and making all sorts of changes, in, particularly in their security department, to make sure that people there were doing the right thing. Uh, in the midst of those changes... The, the California Attorney General's office asked them to appoint a monitor or demanded that a monitor be appointed. And uh, fortunately, uh, the uh, California AG's office accepted me as the monitor going forward, even though I had already been there uh, and originally brought in by the, the company. And so right. I report, then I started to report not only to the board of directors and senior executives at HP, but I also started to report to the California AG's office. So, and again, the it may sound like a small thing, uh, you know, some you know, investigator working on behalf of outside, you know, lawyers, or the in-house counsel, or whatever, and uh, they broke the law. But the reality, I mean, the, the 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 blowback on this thing was enormous because HP. Well, not only you know you have stock gets hit, uh, you got shareholder litigation, then you've got uh, all kinds of uh, of regulatory action brought in the SEC, uh, the you know the California AG, etc. Uh, this this thing was huge to the company, and you had uh, I think the the CEO and the uh, and the general counsel and others basically got fired. Correct? Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the general counsel took the fifth before Congress in a congressional hearing, and then I think uh, resigned. Uh, to to your listeners, it's not quite what uh, the GM issues are today. But uh, similar, um, the GM being much more serious because it's a, it's a safety issue and, and people uh, lost their lives. But it got the same kind of attention from all the authorities, federal, local, congressional. So it was a, it was a big matter at the time. 
So, so what essentially what happens, people, is that a small thing, you know, a little bit of misconduct can really, really damage an organization. In this case, Hewlett Packard, been around for a long time, you know, terrific brand name, and you know, the, you know, it takes a major hit, um, and everybody suffers for it. So, uh, it's critical, and I think uh, Bart, obviously, you know, their their turnaround is a, a testament to to obviously to your help and and getting in there and helping them um, manage that thing and manage their way back out to it and back to back to some respectability. Yeah, Chris, you know you you make a very important point, and I'd like to emphasize it uh, because it's a lesson that I've learned having seen many, I've been in many monitorships now, and that is some of the biggest problems can come from the smallest areas of the company, uh, and they may be small or uh, because of volume of work or because they're not the most profitable, or maybe uh, the fewest employees, or perhaps geographically isolated, and they're not thought about. And that's where these huge reputational problems, which also have a big financial hit as well, of course. To occur. So if, one, if there's any one lesson I tell companies, it's pay attention to these distant places, however, in whatever way they're distant, because that's where some problem uh, may be brewing. Right, so if you if you're not if you're not overseeing properly uh, a group, uh, you know you're talking about your sales group in in uh, in Dubai, <laughs> you're you potentially you know the risk of uh, things like FCPA violations, which uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act uh, violations, which again, you look at uh, you know some of these companies that've li- literally been hobbled uh, in 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 those types of situations. Now, Chris, I work with many small companies. Um, and it and the same lesson applies. You don't have to be an international company to be worried uh, about this. Even in a in a small company, there are parts of the company that you're just not paying as much attention to, and you have to because that's where these problems uh, uh, could could arise. Sure, and you look at some, you know the cases that I talk about, the embezzlement cases. You know, hundred thousand here, hundred thousand there. You know, it's a nonprofit, it's a union, it's a small family-owned business. I mean, these things uh, happen with regularity, uh, and it's because you know, in the case of a small business, uh, oftentimes you know I see, uh, and I'm sure you see this too, Bart, is that it's you know the owner is involved in their you know their entrepreneurial aspect, the business, the selling and the working with the clients and and um, but they don't necessarily care so much about the backside of the uh, the the back office you know the accounting function and uh, when they don't have their eye on that then they're basically asking for trouble yeah well you know the analogy that i i use all the time chris is as to why you need controls and you have to make sure those controls are working. Let's say you're in a small company and you require that your employees get three bids for every project. And what one of your employees does is fix the bidding to be sure that the company he wants gets the bid. And why does he want that company? Because he knows it's going to do the best job for the best price, best quality for the company. He has a perfectly good motivation. But then you get the employee who does the same thing, not for the right motivation, but because he's going to get a kickback. Right. But when you look at the two, you can't tell the difference between the two. That's right. And that's, that's right. why you need those. That's why you need controls. So we're going to take another break here, Bart and uh, Fraud Talkers. We'll be back in two minutes. 
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest today is Bart Schwartz, the chairman of Guidepost International. And... uh, if you'd like to call in and join the discussion, have a question, the number is 866-472-5790, and uh, we'd be happy to, to take your questions or comments. Um, Bart, uh, we were talking about some of the cases uh, that, you, uh, that you've worked on. You worked on the, uh, the very interesting Hewlett-Packard matter. Uh, you've been involved in uh, various, uh, uh, as a monitor, in, the ver- in a couple of the Bernie Madoff feeder fund cases. Um, and lots of other high-profile cases. One of one of the cases we were talking with um, uh, offline was the Dominique Strauss-Kahn case. Uh, tell us about that case and remind our listeners who he was or is. Yeah, he is. He is the French uh, diplomat who was in New York and uh, accused by a maid of uh, 
of improper conduct. Uh, he was arrested. Um, many thought at that time uh, he was the next. He was going to be the next president of France. So it was uh, a case that got uh, an enormous amount of uh, coverage uh, worldwide, uh, and certainly in the U.S. and, and France. Um, and and the, the reason it came to mind is, first of all, it's it's where we did work for an individual because we do work for individuals as well as companies, uh, but also where it was um, the use of some of the good old-fashioned uh, investigative techniques, which was going out, talking to people, gathering the facts. Uh, the end result uh, uh, of the work that we did, and of course others as well, but the, but the facts really drove the decision. The end result of the case was that the district attorney's office dropped uh, the charges. Uh, yeah, against, I, I believe that the, happened in New York, right? It happened. It happened in New York. Uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office dropped dropped the charges. Uh, we spent uh, a great deal of time uh, reviewing uh, video uh, 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 recordings that had been turned over in discovery, which the lawyers had obtained. But there were pieces of it that, frankly, no one realized um, were were sequential, and therefore no one saw the sequence that uh, was critical in helping prove um, that the uh, helping demonstrate that the charges should be uh, dropped. There was one of our people who picked up on that and realized uh, um, uh, what, the, what the sequence was. Uh, but again, it was, it was a lot of old-fashioned background investigations on people, interviews, uh, creating uh, the, t- the accurate timeline, and then demonstrating it and communicating it in a clear way to the district attorney's office. Right. So your firm was engaged by uh, Dominique's outside counsel to help pull the pull the facts together, review the evidence uh, to the extent available, uh, uh, including the, the the material that was turned over in discovery, and to uh, in the end, uh, you helped exonerate this fellow. Which um, you know, where does he go to get his reputation back today? But it's uh, the damage was uh, was apparently done. But but luckily for him, uh, it didn't involve a criminal, you know, uh, prosecution uh, and, and jail time. Um, and people just, to, you know, th- this is a, an interesting and important point. Allegations occur all the time of misconduct of one sort or another. It's an important for organizations to pay attention to that. If you've, you know, if you've got a tip line or whatever, or employees making a complaint of some sort, you've got a duty and obligation to investigate it, to get to the bottom of it, to make sure that the, uh, the com- you know, that the company is doing right by its employees and its stakeholders uh, and, uh, you know, what, what the facts are. And if there's something that needs to be um, dealt with, it needs to be dealt with swiftly and um, decisively. Uh, but not all allegations are truthful. I mean, we've seen this uh, in the past over the years. Uh, I've worked on cases, probably some cases that you and I work with going way back and when, Bart, uh, which there was an allegation of sexual misconduct in the workplace involving a, a senior level executive. And in fact, they were uh, false allegations where the uh, allegedly aggrieved party was basically making up letters and other communications that were were false. Uh, so this is a very important point, Bart. Yeah, and also you know you have to remember in criminal cases the government has a very high burden of proof, and uh, uh, if you can demonstrate that uh, even if they even if they believe in their case but they don't have sufficient proof, uh, responsible prosecutors as the uh, 
uh, Manhattan District Attorney's Office is, will will not go forward with the case where they don't think they have sufficient proof. Right, right. So let's talk. You you've been involved in all kinds of different uh, types of cases, and and what happens? I mean, a lot of these um, fraud situations where maybe it's a small business. You know, I read about this and I see it as well. You know, a company's a victim. You know, their bookkeeper you know stole half a million dollars over the prior five years. The uh, company's been you know had to lay off employees. It's paired itself back to try to deal with the the shortages and finally figures it out because the woman went on vacation or something stupid. Um, but the, but and and then they're faced with the fact, okay. You know, we we now realize this person we trusted, often a woman in this case, uh, in the embezzlement situation, uh, was stealing from us for for many many years. Uh, we had trusted this person. Uh, they've you know they they're off uh, um, living the lifestyle which we didn't quite realize. And now you know how do we you know how do we recover? How do we get the money back? Tell us about you know in this for me the same thing. Asset searching, recovery, and 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 getting trying to get get whole again after a case like this, or you know even even the situation of a of a business dispute where somebody you get a judgment against a company or an organization or an individual for a large sum of money, and you want to try to recover. Uh, these are some of the most difficult cases, uh, in my estimation. T- tell us about you know from your perspective, Bart, about asset recovery type cases. Well, you're absolutely right that these are among the most difficult cases, and for the clients, it's even more difficult because the starting point for them is they're now throwing good money after bad. Is it, right. is it really worth? Is it really worth uh, pursue, pursuing this? Um, and it's interesting uh, and somewhat ironic, uh, Chris, that if you lose a lot of money in an investment that went bad, and you think you have some legal rights against whoever lost that money, um, the, the chances of recovery may be slim because they didn't steal anything. They just didn't conduct things the way they should have. But when you're going after someone who stole from you, if they have uh, uh, bought things, if they have, you know, they, beca- they have antique cars, they have artwork, whatever it is, at least there are assets out there that you can um, go after. And it's a combination of, of two things. There are forensic audits, which you can do, where accountants who are trained to um, uh, approach uh, the financial information with an investigative eye. Um, I'll give you a very simple example, but they, they, they see a, uh, a, wire, a check. Let's take a check. Um, it's, they see who it's addressed to. They see uh, who endorsed it and cashed it. Then they go behind that, and they look to see whether the company that cashed it uh, really exists. What's the address? Who incorporated it? Is it somebody who is um, uh, in, in league with the, with the wrongdoer? Uh, so you have forensic accountants, and then you have – that's one path you can take to investigate, and a simultaneous path you can take is simply to talk to people who were there when the events were taking place. They may have seen things that they didn't even were, – were not even suspicious about, but when you pull it all together, it, you start to understand, oh, they were buying property uh, in Arizona over there. They had a broker that was calling in from California all the time, and you may start to fill in a picture of where they have 
uh, assets. And as you know, as I'm fond of saying, the best forensic audit is where someone tells you where to look. So it's very important to talk to people and get information. And then you can do, there's a lot that can be done on the public record um, to see whether there are assets out there that you might be able to seize, uh, identify, and then actually the law firms would uh, then have to seize those, those assets. And you want to do that as quickly as possible, and you want to find out as quickly as possible whether it's worth pursuing it. If it's someone who's been caught at misconduct and is so, so-called cooperating because they want to reduce their, their exposure, then they should be giving you a lots of information from which you can pursue um, assets which they may have or, or, or investments they made, which if you're fortunate, uh, those investments have grown in value, not uh, decreased in value. Right. There's a, there's, 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 there's a lot that can be done, but it also it can be a very frustrating, uh, frustrating uh, process. Right, and then and you bring up a couple, a number of very important points. One, I mean, it's good money after bad, and you're trying to, you know, trying to figure out where where the money went. Oftentimes, uh, in, in cases of embezzlement, you, you get, you know, a lot of the money's just been pissed away, gambled away, uh, junketed away, um, you know, spent on things that uh, immediately diminish in value, depreciate, and so even when you do go around and you seize uh, physical hard assets like vehicles and livestock and uh houses and etc that they've uh, sometimes uh, diminished in value rather than appreciated in value uh but the other uh importing um point here is that what you can do is strictly limited also to uh to legal activities. In other words, you can't go out, I can't go out and just get into people's bank accounts. Uh, we need subpoenas for that. We need to do appropriate um, investigation. And so that limits what one can do. A lawyer, lawyer comes to us and says, hey, you know, we want to do an asset search and can't you just get into the bank accounts? And you kind of have to say, well, sorry, no, uh, but you can with a subpoena. Uh, so that makes a, adds an extra layer, the various privacy laws ex, uh, creates roadblocks that make it difficult in these kinds of projects. That's right. So if anybody says that they're cooperating with you um, and want to help you find the assets, they, sh- they can give you waivers and permission so that right. you can talk to the bank and find out uh, what is there. But uh, without that kind of permission, unless you have a judgment, uh, and you may want to get a judgment, just a default judgment. Right, uh, on, a civil, on so the civil that, side. On the civil side, so that you can uh, then go and uh, to the banks with the, uh, defo- with the judgment and seek uh, information. Uh, also, um, uh, if there's a bankruptcy involved, you can take the take a debtor's deposition. There are other tools you can use, but it, but each one costs money to achieve. So, sure. uh, so the first thing you want to do is see if you can gather some public record information and some information that is easier to get to and less expensive to get to. Right. To see quickly, and, quickly and quietly. Quickly and quietly. Yeah. All right. We're right. going to have to take another break here, Bart, and we'll be back in a couple minutes. Thank you. Sure.
Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you and your business well-prepared? For what, you may ask? Well, what about workplace violence, cyber attacks, or general business disasters? Listen for Fear is Negotiable, Business Survival Skills 101 with your host, Pamela Hill. We'll bring you case studies of the businesses that don't prepare and the consequences that can happen. We'll also bring you best practice strategies that can help you keep your business running smoothly. Tune in to Fear is Negotiable, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. We are talking today to Bart Schwartz, and he's the chairman of Guidepost Solutions and uh, uh, one of the major uh, investigative litigation support and security consulting firms. Bart heads up the compliance and monitorship division, as well as being chairman of the the group overall. And we've been talking about a number of things. Most recently, before the break, we were talking about asset recovery projects and how difficult they are in particular and, and and, um, but there are tools uh, in the toolbox, which uh, I want to come back full circle. Bart, uh, you were a prosecutor in your early career, former AUSA, head of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York, working for Rudy Giuliani, which, um, how was that, by the way? Oh, it was a very ex- a very exciting time uh, for me and for all of us there, and he continues to be a good a good friend. Uh, in those days, we were bringing a lot of organized crime cases. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, the, the the heyday of the RICO cases that you guys were yes. were uh, bringing down. Correct? That that's correct. There was the commission case, uh, the pizza connection case, uh, lots lots of uh, big cases that we brought. 
So, so as prosecutors, and maybe this will be helpful to our, our viewers. I'm sorry, our listeners. Uh, we're not on TV yet. Uh, tell us about you know some of the tools, the tools that the prosecutors use, the pro, some of the process involved, and um, and what they need to be uh, aware of. Sure, I, I think that lots of people find you know are interested in this. Um, uh, to get a sense. So, first of all, how do how do cases get started? How do prosecutors um, decide to pursue a case or learn about a case? Uh, and and as you might imagine, they they come from many sources. It could be from reading the newspapers, uh, the agencies that support the prosecutors, such as the FBI. My experience is primarily federal, so I work with FBI, DEA, and um, Secret Service and other other federal agencies. They may generate. Uh, the leads, uh, whistleblowers these days can generate uh, uh, information. Um, informants for, who are informants for one reason or another, uh, cooperating witnesses who decide who've been caught. It's one thing and decide to cooperate about uh, whatever they can to reduce their uh, exposure at, at sentencing. Uh, unhappy partners, both domestic and business, uh, can be a source. So that's where that's where leads can come. From, but what tools do the, the prosecutors use? That depends in large part on what kind of a case it is. There's the grand jury subpoena. Um, most people may not realize that grand juries are, are an investigative tool as well as a, uh, a, a tool that decides whether to vote for an indictment or not. So investigative subpoenas can go out asking for books and records and testimony. Um, they're always undercover or sting-type uh, operations. Um, these days, uh, email uh, and uh, cyber investigations by the government uh, are critical. They search social media. Um, certainly, after the uh, after the event, they're looking at emails and other and other things. But one one of the tools that has been used more and more in white-collar cases, we used it less. Uh, in uh, in the days when I was doing it, but we still did use it then, is the use of the search warrant. And the search warrant is really uh, something that's very foreign to us in the United States because we're not accustomed to the government having a right to knock down our front door and come in and take whatever is relevant to the warrant. But that's exactly what a search warrant uh, permits. It's, it's to search and to seize, search and seizure. And under the Constitution, if the uh, prosecutors make the requisite showing, then the agents execute the search warrant and may, if they need to, knock down, knock down the door, come in and start taking, re- reviewing, searching, and then seizing what they think they need. And if you as an individual try to interfere with that, then you'd you'd be charged with an obstruction of justice. Although the natural inclination is to uh, um, not quite interfere, but at least ask questions and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and try to understand what's going on, and the agents may not um, have any interest in talking to you about anything except searching the, the premises. Uh, now, search warrants are used most often when there is evidence which there is a belief will be uh, destroyed or um, somehow uh, uh, changed uh, and will not be available in its true form in the future. So the government uh, wants to get it 
now and not wait uh, later on and, and just issue a subpoena. But uh, it's a very um, effective and powerful uh, tool. It's terribly damaging for any business to have their records taken. The government is not required to give you copies. Um, the only thing they don't take is attorney-client materials, and if they're not sure, they will take it and then have somebody else review them to make sure uh, whether they are attorney-client materials or not. So it's a broad, broad-reaching uh, power that the Constitution gives and, that the, and can only be exercised with court approval and the uh, uh, agreement of an independent judge that it's appropriate under the circumstances. Right. And we're going to be wrapping up here in 30 seconds. Uh, Bart, and so you mentioned that the, it's it's not only a search but also seizure. And in some cases, like let's say it's an asset recovery, uh, a restitution situation and a, and a fraud case, they may see, literally seize um, you know physical items of value, uh, correct? Well, yeah, but in those cases, it's for evidence. It's not, uh, it's not usually used for, to seize assets. It's used to, to seize evidence. Uh, then there may be other tools, legal tools, that can be used to freeze the assets. So a separate order would be then, then to, to go out and take the, yes. take the assets. Right. Okay. Well, listen, everybody, this has uh, been great talking to Bart Schwartz. So thank you, Bart. Uh, I want to, uh, I appreciate uh, your joining us for this hour. Uh, join us next week, 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time for another edition of Fraud Talk. Our guest will be Cheryl Obermiller, and she is a, I guess, a semi-retired, uh, semi-small businesswoman from the Midwest. She was victimized by her bookkeeper who, uh, um, who embezzled from her over, you know, a huge sum of money. And uh, she's now writing a book about her experience and would like to try to help other business owners not become victims. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll hear next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. We'll be right back.